Psalm 119. Some of you may have went, "Uh uh-oh, when you heard that, uh, considering the length of Psalm 119, but uh, be sure that we're, uh, rest assured, we're only looking at the first 16 verses this morning. Psalm 119, as as we've been uh, studying through different psalms throughout the month of July, I've attempted to use these psalms uh, to answer certain questions that all of us might ask at some point in our lives. Uh, For example, from Psalm 121, I asked, where does our help come from when life goes crazy? And the psalmist points us to the Lord. He says that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and, he, and throughout that psalm, he promises uh, protection and strength from our Creator. And then in Psalm 50, I ask, what does God want from me? All right? And in, psalm, in that psalm, Asaph informs us that God desires for us to glorify Him with a thankful heart and through our service to Him. What He doesn't want is insincere sacrifices that are meant to placate Him when we go throughout our life, when we do things that don't bring glory to God, and yet we don't really care because we want to do what we want to do, but yet we know, he says, hey, bring these sacrifices, and he's not interested in those sacrifices. He's interested in the heart that desires to bring him glory. And last week, from Psalm 103, I asked this question, why should we worship God? And in that psalm, I counted, uh, I crammed some things together, but I think David presented 14 reasons throughout that psalm that states why Yahweh is worthy of our worship. Some of them are God is holy, God is forgiving, God heals us, God redeems us, God shows us compassion, and He is gracious, and then the list goes on and on. 14 of those. And this week, as we consider the first 16 verses of Psalm 119, we're going to consider the answer to two questions. What is the the key to true happiness? And what is the key to purity of heart? What is the key to true happiness? And what is the key to purity of heart? And the reason why we are addressing two questions this week is because they have the same answer. They both focus on our heart. And they both focus on our interaction with God's Word. right? What is the key to true happiness? It's walking in accordance with God's instruction. What is the key to purity of heart? Keeping God's Word. Right now, I could have gone on 20 more times like this because Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem that is broken down into 22 sections. That's one section for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each one of those sections has eight verses that all focus on the beauty of God's Word and the practicality of living, it, living out our lives according to His Word. But given that that whole psalm has 176 verses, I thought I would do us both a favor and only cover two of those sections this morning. And so if you're grateful that we're not doing 176 verses this morning, I accept gratuity in the form of coffee and food. Okay? So if you want to say thank you, I will gladly accept coffee and food from you. Uh, But with that being said, before we get into God's Word, let's 
uh, begin with prayer for our time in the Word so that we can look at the benefits of being obedient to God's Word. So let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that you speak to us through your Word. That we can know you and that we can know ourselves based on what you have told us about us in, our, in your Word and what we can know about you and how we can pursue you through reading your Word. And I pray that this morning you would give us eyes to see the truth that's in there. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, that you would give us hearts that are inclined to be obedient to you and to change what needs to be changed so that we can show you how much we love you and how much we desire to worship you, how much we desire to bring you glory. I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at the first eight verses of Psalm 119. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Now, the first thing that I want to focus on uh, and note here in these first two verses of the Christian Standard Bible's use uh, is the use of the word happy in verses 1 and 2. Most other translations take that word happy and they instead use the word blessed. So it would say, how blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those who keep his decrees. And at first... I was less enthusiastic about CSB's use of the word happy due to the way that our culture tends to think about happiness. Now, we talked before about how happiness is a lacking emotion because it's completely fleeting at best due to the fact that it changes uh, based on what our circumstances are and what each person wants. So one moment I'm happy because... I got everything together early and I made it out of the house on time to uh, get to work on time only to be unhappy because there was an accident on my way to work and now it looks like I'm going to miss the important meeting that my boss had scheduled for that morning, right? And he expects everyone to attend. And when I call in to let them know, I get happy again because I find out from the office assistant that the, the meeting has been moved to later in the day. So now I'm happy again. And I'm in a good mood as I walk through the doors at work for about five minutes until I find out that the meeting has been moved to the very end of the day. So I'm going to be late getting home and, you know, things aren't going well. And all of a sudden I get happy again when I find out due to the late meeting, the boss is going to provide food for everybody. And so we get to eat at this meeting. And then I get unhappy again when I remember that the boss is vegan and everything we're going to eat is plants. <laughs> right. And then I'm happy again when I realize someone made coffee. So it's good. And then I'm unhappy when I realize the coffee is decaf and someone finished all the creamer, right? Like, on and on it could go. Now, obviously, this is a ridiculous example. I hope that doesn't happen to any of you this week. If it does, like, that wasn't prophetic or anything. That's not on me. But if we're honest, we would openly acknowledge that our happiness is fragile at best, right? It is extremely contingent on our circumstances, so with that in mind, I thought that maybe using a different translation this morning uh, would be a good idea because then we could focus on the idea of being blessed instead of happy. But again, 
If we think about our culture, we actually run into the same problem with the word blessed that we run into with the word happy, right? Scroll through your social media feed. See what happens when people are using the word blessed. What is going on in their life typically, right? Uh, it's not, is it not almost always in the context of something good happening in their life, right? Got a promotion today, hashtag blessed, right? Got the new house that we've always wanted, blessed. Right? Got a good diagnosis from the doctor today, so I'm blessed. But the IRS made a mistake, and instead of paying in, they owe me money, blessed. Right? So in order to deal with these issues, knowing the fact that we misuse the word blessed, we don't understand what true happiness is, I decided to put that word before happiness, true. Where do we find true happiness? How do we pursue after true happiness to be able to understand the context of what the psalmist is getting at here. True happiness comes from our obedience to God. Right? Those who walk according to the Lord's instruction will find true happiness. Why is that? It's because that's the Lord's design for His creation. That's how we were made. Everything that is bad about our existence came from the fact that Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in the Garden of Eden. A perfect existence was offered. It was in their hands. It was within their grasp. They were able to experience that as long as God was obeyed. So this means that if Adam and Eve had never rebelled, the promises that we find and look forward to in Revelation 21 would be our reality today. Right? It says there, there's no death. It says there, there's no sickness. There's no grief. There's no crying or pain. And the best part of it all is that we would be living face to face in the presence of God. Everything in the world would be amazing. It would be unending joy for a, an eternity if Adam and Eve had just been obedient to the Word of God. But Adam and Eve were presented with a different scenario by Satan. Satan lied to them and told them that God put limitations on them because he knew that in the moment that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would be like God. And to Adam and Eve, the idea of being gods, the idea of being worshipped was more appealing than seeking to worship the one true God. And so they acted on a plan that would bring them more happiness in their own mind. Right? But rebellion against God only brings sorrow. It only brings hardship. And the psalmist in verse 4 says that God commands that his precepts are diligently kept. These commands of God are not presented to us in order to remove happiness from our lives. Right? That's not the reason why God says, oh, be obedient to me. Follow what I tell you to do. He's not trying to steal our happiness. These are given to us in order to ensure happiness in our lives. Right? It's when we go our own way that we bring pain and sorrow, destruction. When we follow the commands of God, everything is great and wonderful and joyful forever. Our pursuit of things that go against the nature and character of God only bring heartache and sorrow. Right? When we are selfish, when we practice promiscuity, when we're in the pursuit of power and prestige, right? if we're in the pursuit of money and stuff, give me more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. 
All of these make false promises just as Satan did. Right? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be powerful? Do you want to be respected? Do you want to be feared? Well, then all this can be yours if you'll just deny the commands of God and do your own thing. But the psalmist tells us what happens when we pursue after those things. Look again at verses 5 and 6. The psalmist there says, If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about your commands. When we fail to honor God's commands, that's when shame enters the picture. We were created with God's law stamped on our hearts. We were created with knowing the difference between right and wrong, and yet we constantly pursue after the wrong things. When that happens, there's this sense of guilt that plagues those of us who have hearts that haven't been hardened by sin. Sometimes we have pursued after the wrong things for so long that our hearts harden to the reality of that being wrong. But for those of us who still have a sense of right and wrong, when we pursue after the wrong thing, we have the blessing of feeling shame because that lets us know that we're going after the wrong target. What's extremely wicked, though, in this whole process is that Satan is tempting us to sin. Right? He's presenting us with all these things that go against God's nature. He's presenting us with all these things that go against God's character. And then he uses shame against us to try to keep us away from God when we do the things that he has tempted us to do. Right? He's like, come on, come on, do this thing. It's not a big deal. God won't care. And then you do the thing, whatever that thing is for you. And all of a sudden he's like, I cannot believe you would do such a thing. I cannot believe that you would go against God in that way. God is angry at you. You better clean yourself up, get yourself together before you ever think about seeking that relationship with him again. How could you do that, you who proclaim to love God? But the beauty of the gospel is that God, knowing that we could not clean up ourselves, sent Jesus to clean up for us. Now, Jesus lived the life that we should have have lived. He took the death that we deserve. He took our punishment and offered us His righteousness. Right, so now in Christ, there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. And as Jesus rose from the dead, He conquered sin and death so that we are no longer slaves either. Now we are free to pursue true happiness. Right, through seeking God with our whole heart by walking according to the Lord's instruction. So if you want to be truly happy, if you want to be truly happy, you need to pursue God with everything that you have. And you do that by studying His Word. Right, like We're not worshiping the Bible. Right? It's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Right? That is not what we worship. So, I mean, I've seen some people that get a little funky with the Bible. Like, you can't take a cup and set it down on the Bible for some reason because it's holy for some reason. Right? You can't underline. You can't circle things in your, in your Bible because that's God's Word and how dare you do such a thing. Look, what you're holding in your hand right now, whether it be in paper form or in electronic form, is the Word of God. But we don't worship the Word of God. We worship the God of the Word. So 
we read this, we study it so that we can know who God is, we can know what He wants from us, and as we pursue after those things, we can find true happiness. It's when we start going against those things that we start to find ourselves in trouble, in sorrow, in chaos. But if we will pursue after, we will see the heart of God and we will find true happiness in that pursuit. And in the next stanza of this beautiful poem, the author, the author helps us to understand how we can pursue purity of heart. All right, let's look at that together. We're, it's the same method as pursuing happiness. Verses 9 to 16 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget about your word. So as I mentioned before, God requires perfection in order for us to be in relationship with him. Because of sin, none of us have the ability to be in relationship with him outside of our faith in Christ. And Jesus offered us his perfection as he paid the price for our sin. So now, as God's people who have been fundamentally changed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we now have the opportunity to pursue purity the way that we were intended to at the beginning. The psalmist is clear about what it takes for us to be pure, and it has everything to do with our heart. Verses 9 and 10 say that we can keep our way pure by seeking after God with our whole heart. Our whole heart. Now before we have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus, we know that pursuit of God with our whole heart is impossible. The reason for that is because our heart was enslaved by sin, but in Christ, since we have been set free from our slavery to sin, it should now be easy to pursue purity and do what is right. Yes? Wouldn't you think so? After all, in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, God tells us this, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So with a new heart and a new spirit, this should be easy. Yes? Wouldn't you think? But it's not. Right? Would any of you say that it is easy to constantly pursue after the heart of God, to constantly keep our lives pure, to constantly steer ourselves away from sin? Is that easy for you? Anybody? No, it's not easy at all. Why? Why is it so difficult for us to pursue after purity? To pursue after God? Because even though God's people have new hearts and new natures through Christ, we still battle with our old nature. Right? Paul talks about this very specifically in Romans 7, 14-25. I have a hard time reading that. I call it the doo-doo passage. Because he says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do, and who is going to save me from this flesh of sin? It's a it's, it's very hard passage to read out loud. <laughs> so I summarized it there. So he mentions constantly knowing what is good to do, 
but instead he's constantly doing evil. Right? Or just simply not doing what is good. Right? Sins of omission and commission. Right? Commission is when we do things that we know we shouldn't do. Omission is when we don't do the things that we know we should do. Right? So even though we have been freed from the slavery of sin to pursue purity and to pursue after God, we still have to make regular choices about what we will focus our hearts on. On a moment-to-moment basis, we have to be constantly battling the old man or the old woman that is striving for control. We have to battle to keep our hearts focused on God, on His commands. The psalmist in verse 11 says that he treasured God's Word in his heart so that he might not sin against the Lord. Right? And that hits the nail right on the head. What we value, what we treasure, will determine what we pursue. Right? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19-21, He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Verse 21 specifically, listen, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that thing that has elevated itself to the top of your affections will be the thing that you pursue after with all that you have. Right? The psalmist tells the Lord that he will rejoice in the way revealed by God's decrees just as much as he would rejoice in all the riches of the world. Right? He sees the truth that no matter how much money we have, no matter how much power and prestige we have, if we do not have that relationship with the Lord, then we really have nothing. I mean, how many stories have you heard about people finally hitting the big one? You know, they go out, they get the lottery ticket, they hit it, you know, they're multimillionaire, and their life is absolutely ruined by everything that they've been given. And it's because we were not made for pursuit of those things. The psalmist says, I'm not going to rejoice in all the riches in the world. I'm going to rejoice in the way revealed by God's decrees. He says he will meditate on God's precepts and think about God's ways. He says he will delight in his statutes and not forget God's word. And in storing up all of this in his heart, the psalmist says he will have the ability to pursue purity. Our pursuit of purity completely is dependent on our pursuit of God and his statutes and commands. So these are the two things that I want us to think about this week. Right? As we've been asking these questions, how are you seeking happiness and how are you seeking purity? Like what is going on in your life that you are showing, right? Remember we talk all the time about time, talent, and treasure. If I look at where you're spending your time, if I look at where you're spending your money, and look at what you're doing with your talent, I can generally see what you truly care about. Uh, we can simplify that by checkbook and calendar. Right? What are you doing with those things the most? We can see what you value the most. So how are you doing at pursuing true happiness, not the fleeting stuff that comes from power, prestige, money, all that, but how are you 
pursuing true happiness? How are you pursuing purity? Right? The only way to it is to be in relationship with the Father. The only way to it is to know and understand His Word in such a way that we can use that to correct, course correct as we find ourselves drifting from one side to the other away from the nature and character of God. The only way we can do this is by pursuit of Him through the book. Like I said, we don't worship the book, but we worship the God of the book. And in that pursuit, we should be absolutely wearing our Bibles out. I love this quote. It's what I'll close on with from Charles Spurgeon. It says, A Bible that's falling apart is usually belonged to someone who isn't. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. If we are consistently in the Word of God, we will find ourselves in a place that no matter what the circumstances life throws at us, we will find ourselves with true happiness. And no matter how we feel inclined because of the battle with that old man or old woman, we will not find ourselves drifting away from the nature of character of God because we have stored up His Word in our heart and we value it more than anything else in this life. Let's pray together. Father, it's my desire to grow in my knowledge of you, and I pray that you would bring that desire to everyone in this room this morning. I pray that we would have a hunger and thirst for your word that would transform our lives, that we would seek after true happiness, and that we would seek after tr true purity. And that as we walk through this life and as we're pursuing these things, people would see that there's something different about us and they would want it. And we could share your word with them. We could share about who you are and what you've done through Christ. And we could see their lives change as well. So as we go from here today, I pray that you would impress upon us the importance of your word, the importance of your commands, your statutes, your law. Help us to value it more than all things. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.